I say in the book, it comes as a bit of a shock to Catholics to realise this, but Jesus has next to nothing to say about sex in the Gospels. Now, I'm not saying it's unimportant. I'm not saying that, therefore, it's of a secondary nature. Our body, clearly, and our desires and our love um, need to be something of which gives dignity and respect and virtue and goodness to the world and to ourselves. What I am saying is actually a simple statement of fact, that there are two big sins from Jesus' own lips. The first is hypocrisy. That's the one he rails at all the time, those who say one thing and do another, which is all of us at some stage. And the second are those who won't forgive. From his own lips, they're the two big sins in the New Testament. So when we come along and say, I want to follow Jesus and I want to be a better Christian, a better Catholic, I'm baptised in Christ. Well, how are we going on hypocrisy and how are we going on forgiveness? Because sometimes I find some Catholics can be terribly sexually righteous and demand the world to be like that. But they've got a few challenges when it comes to some of the other areas on which Jesus was significantly strong and somehow we've moved away from that. I mean, in fairness to those people, the institutional church, that's what they pushed as the, the big sins was absolutely red letters, sex, sexuality, and even today, the whole issue of gay people. I mean, mm. For some people, many modern day people are deeply wounded by the church's teaching on homosexuality, for mm. example. I think that's again where Pope Francis has both um, not only given us some um, more clarifying teaching, like people think he's a change. One of the reasons I wrote uh, The Law of Love is to show that his teaching is not new. It's completely and utterly traditional. In fact, it's calling us back to the earliest traditions. And I think you're absolutely right. There are people that have been very hurt and very damaged by what was an overfocus on sexuality as the sin. I'm not sure I was ever told when I was growing up in my Catholic education that it was the sin, but that was the impression you got. It was the biggest one. When you There's got a lot the, of talk about it. Yeah, a lot of homilies and a lot of stuff in the confessional. And Francis has come along, and even on the question of homosexuality, has come along to talk about dignity and respect and compassion and forgiveness and asking for that community's forgiveness of the church who so often wounded them. Also saying to the church, look, we've got to think about this because there are genetic issues here. There are biological issues. There are determinism issues. There are social determinism as well, no question. But we have to be open to what the Spirit is saying and telling us now in and through the new knowledge that we have now. And that applies right across the board in so many of the things that once we thought were completely settled questions, say in moral theology, now there's a bigger dialogue and we have to be part of that dialogue. And that's what I think Francis is calling us to do, is to be people who open up to the best learning that we've got so that we then hear what the Spirit is saying now, so that in the light of the greatest, longest traditions that we've inherited from the Scriptures and from the Jesus' own behaviour, then we can in fact now come to new insights that are maybe different from what we've heard, but in fact, they're completely consistent with the earliest principles and foundations. I want to give our listeners um, an example of how powerful Jesus is, and one that's a bit lost on us. But again, in this book, I, I go to some detail in it, and I really enjoyed researching this. You know, Jesus reaches out to a couple of tax collectors in the Gospels. They're in all four of the Gospels, these tax collectors. Now, Matthew is the most famous one who gets and leaves everything and follows Jesus. But actually, it's the story of Zacchaeus in Luke that I think is the more interesting story. Tax collectors were loathed, 
absolutely loathed by the Jewish community because they were the people who conspired with the oppressive Roman regime. And I don't know whether we've somehow romanticised the Romans. They were shocking. They were despotic. They were violent. They were the, That regime was appalling. And one of the things they did was tax their colonies. But they needed people who spoke the local language and knew the local community to collect the tax. So Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector in Jericho. He's not actually all that interested in an encounter with Jesus. He wants to see what the fuss is about, but he's a short little bloke who climbs the tree. And next minute, Jesus is under the tree and calls him down and says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house today. And he has a meal with him. And everybody is scandalized. And well, might they be? I'm not sure what the local equivalent would be, but right now it would be like someone in the Ukraine who's Ukrainian conspiring with the Russians. Mm. It would be like a child killer who's released from jail or a pedophile who's released from jail and is in the street and no one wants them there. And so they're outside and saying, get them out, get them out. You know, what would be the model equivalent of somebody who we just can't have in our neighbourhood, we don't want in our neighbourhood? I don't put this in the book because it's a bit too much detail, but I found out that all the tax collectors have to, had to have Roman guards outside their houses. They had to be looked after because they were murdered by the local community. And here's Jesus calling down the chief tax collector. And then the second point we miss in the ancient world, and along with Judaism and Christianity, to eat, to dine with someone was a great act of intimacy because getting poisoned at a meal was a real reality. You can be poisoned. And so you only ate with those people you didn't think were going to poison you. While we're there, and I do a little development of this in one, one part of the book, gorgeous idea. Judas is right there with Jesus to the end of the Last Supper, the end of that meal. It's only at the end he says, go and do what you must. And John says, he went into the night. Boy, I love that line. He went into the night. So, but he's there till the end of the meal, assuming in John, he's got his feet washed. Now, we gloss over these things. We play them down. The chief tax collector, Judas, there right to the end, who in the end, his own avarice, his own sense of greed or whatever power is greater than his love for Christ. And so he becomes the betrayer. And Paul, like look at those three, Judas, Paul and Zacchaeus. We can play those um, stories down. They were immensely powerful in the earliest church about revealing what was different about Christianity, which was a love of the people who nobody else loved. And that's what Francis is calling the church to do right now, to take on the mind, the heart and the action of Jesus in the same way. Once upon a time, we were very clear about who was going to heaven, who was going to hell, who was in, who was out. And what we're finding now is when you go back and understand those stories, boy, are we getting a very different paradigm to be living right now. And Zacchaeus is a good example of what you're trying to illustrate, because when Zacchaeus has an encounter of love with Jesus... He then says, I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing and I'm going to give away. Well, he doesn't say I'm not going to be a tax collector anymore. But he does say I'm going to be honest in what I do. I'm going to give away my money, half of it and so on. So the experience is beginning to already make the behaviour change, but it's rooted in an experience of love. 
not and in, oh, there's a law, I really shouldn't be doing this. It's, mm. it's, it so isn't a head thing. He has an encounter, an encounter of love and forgiveness of being included. Jesus reaches out to him and then he can change his life. Mm. And it's an, they're lovely details in the story. One is the um, encounter means that he gives away to those whom he has defrauded mm. because tax collectors were shocking embezzlers at the expense of the local community. And secondly, it is interesting, we don't hear about him ever again. There are these extraordinary people in, in the scriptures that we just don't hear about them ever again. And we'd like I'd so like to know what happened to Zacchaeus and what turnaround in his life. All we know is it was powerful enough for Luke to include that story. And most of the details of that story are lost on us now. So that's one of the things I try to do in all my books, but this one especially, update the language and change the concepts in a way that might be as confronting to us now as that is to us. And then we say, that's the person we're following, the person who goes after the child killer that's moved into our street, that he went after him. He wanted to be with him. He showed him. He didn't go to the most righteous and wonderful person in the street. He went to the biggest sinner that nobody wanted to live there, who needed protection to live there. That's confronting. And yet that's the very person we say. That's the one who loves us. So he can love Zacchaeus, loves Paul, loves Judas. He can love us and but call us to them to conversion of life. We're all called to be more like him. And that's a big call.